Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Right now, what we're going to do, you're going to hear from three men of God. They're each going to share, and they have nine minutes each. All right, so when the nine minutes happens, if they're still going, just start clapping really loud so they get the point. And let them get off the stage. This is Caleb, Gerald, and Jonathan, three men of God that do a lot of stuff around here and around the community. And I am excited. Can you give them a hand for being brave enough to do this? All right. Start that timer. Man, it's like a game show, right? <laughs> TED Talk. Let's make sure I'm not going to... Bra- oh, yep, there it is. Look at that. I'm just going to whip that thing off the stage, break an iPad, start off good. Amen. So I was sitting out there thinking about thinking about getting a diagnosis, right? We've all been to the doctor's office. I personally hate going to the doctor's office. I went the other day. Um, it's always, you know, nerve-wracking. They take your blood. They do the whole thing. They're trying to figure out, okay, is there anything wrong? You know, let you know. And I was thinking about getting a diagnosis of death. What do you say to that, right? If you got two months to live, you're dying. It's like, goodness gracious, alive. And it makes everything become very real to you very fast, right? Then I started thinking about it, and I went, you know, the thing about the Bible, the thing the Bible tells us, this is the fun, if you've never heard this, this is at the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel, our forefathers sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and sin was passed from, Paul says, one man, that's Adam, to all of us. The Bible says that it is appointed unto mankind, all of us, once to die and then the judgment. Theologians have looked at that, and the Bible is pretty clear that the reason we die, the ultimate reason that we suffer physical death is because it points to the reality that we sinned and that sin brings death. You have a death sentence. We have a death sentence. How important is it if there was a cure? So there's a story in the Bible about Lazarus. I'm going to go through Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus. Jesus knew him. I'm just going to read it to you guys. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. They were well known to Jesus. They were friends of Jesus. Jesus loved them. In fact, the text tells us that twice. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What we're going to find is that A, Lazarus is going to die, and that two, Jesus waits two days shows up, and Lazarus has already been dead for four days, which means he was dead when Jesus said this. And yet the text tells us, now Jesus loved Mary, loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. Jesus loves them, and he said, this illness will not end in death, and yet Lazarus died. This is my first point. My first point is, in your suffering, in your darkest, hardest moment, Don't believe for a second that that means that Jesus does not love or care for you. 
He does love you, and he does care for you. So when they, when, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? They're warning Jesus, no, 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 don't go there. That's where they want to kill you. That's where they want to kill you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, catch, catch Thomas's statement. Thomas's statement, he completely misunderstands what Jesus said. Completely misses it. He misses the whole thing. As a matter of fact, Mary and Martha later in the story miss the whole thing. They don't get what Jesus is saying. They don't get what he's intending to convey. What they do, though, is they follow him. So the whole, the whole thing I'm saying today is, is going to come down to this. We will all walk in suffering. We will all walk in darkness. It's a part of the fallen world. And yes, we all will end in physical death. But in Christ, and this is the point, in Christ, our physical death is not the end. See, what's more fundamental than our physical death is our spiritual death in Adam. Our second death, our separation from the God of all glory and life. And as Jesus will say later, I am the resurrection and the life. If you know Christ, physical death is not the end. It's the beginning of glorious eternity. But you need him. Every man, woman, and child sitting in this room needs him, needs him desperately, needs him far more than any cure to any cancer you may ever have. And the life he came to bring, he came to bring abundantly that you might walk and live in him. Not just that you're saved from the, the consequences of your sin, which in a very real way you are, but that you might be saved from the power of sin in your life. And so we see Thomas say something really interesting here. He says, let us go with him that we may die also. So Thomas, without understanding anything, without being the best of all theologians, Matter of fact, we see Thomas doubt later, so we know that he has shaky faith. And yet, he decides to follow Jesus. And so they came, and it says that they found that Jesus, or they found that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. And Mary's going to come up, and Martha's going to come up, and they're going to say the same thing to Jesus. They're going to say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You didn't answer my Prayer. I called for you. I asked you to help me. I asked you to give me this thing I thought I need. I asked you to give me a thing that is good. Healing Lazarus was good. And you didn't do it. Ever felt that way? God, I need this. Man, help me, please. I want you to hear this too in your suffering, in your hardship, in your prayers. God does not always give you what you ask for or what you think you need. But in Christ, God works together all things for the good who love those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Even if we see it, even if we don't know how, even if we're like Mary and we're Martha and we're going, man, my brother's dead, how is that okay? God's plans are better. 
God's plans are better. He'll give you what's better. When I was five, I did not think broccoli was better than ice cream. Amen? God gives you what's better. And so they go. It says, when she had said this, he called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have they laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus is not unsympathetic of our struggles and our problems. He was the Word made flesh. He has everything a human man has and more. When you weep, he weeps. He's with you in your suffering. He understands what it means to be diagnosed with sickness. He understands what it means to be mocked, shamed, scorned, and to die. And he understands what it means to lose a loved one. And guys, where the story is going to end up is Jesus is going to pull away the stone. He's going to take away the stone. He's going to call Lazarus, and Lazarus is going to walk out into new life. He knew that from the beginning. He had greater plans than we could have had. And so I'm going to leave you with this. If you don't know Christ, you're Lazarus, spiritually. You're in the grave. I encourage you today to call out to Christ and to meet him, and he will call you out of the grave into life eternal. Thank you. Give a hand for Caleb also. All right, my name is Gerald. I'm still fairly new around here. We were here for a couple months, and we vanished because we had a baby. My awesome wife's right here. The baby's back there, and, our other, and the rest of our tribe are upstairs. So we have four of them. Um, but I'm kind of a, we're back now, but I, some people call me Pastor G. Some people call me Gerald, whatever you want to call me. You call me a little short, bald guy who's scary at school. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I'm also a very interactive kind of pastor when I preach. So can everyone stand up and just stretch for a second? Stretching feels so good in the morning. Yeah, stretch that back out. Don't stretch your back too much, just saying. Yeah, we're not doing burpees. I like working out, just saying. So, All right, cool. Y'all can have a sit down. All right, cool. All right. Pastor Chris asked me to kind of stand up and speak today, um, and I haven't preached in months. So I got a lot bottled up, but I'm going to try to condense it down to like eight minutes and one second. So if you got your Bibles or your Bible apps, turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to go right to verse 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. We're dealing with some miracles today. Um, I picked this one, and I had you stretch for a reason, so don't think I just want you to move around so you don't fall asleep when I'm talking or anything. But I'm going to read right here. It says, On another Sabbath, we went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man who was there, who was, who was there whose hand was shriveled, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. We all know that the Pharisees like setting Jesus up, and Jesus was a savage. He was. He was a rebel. He was a sanctified outlaw. Um, so he liked messing with people, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees. So here he is. It says, but Jesus knew that they were, what they were thinking, 
That's awesome. I love that because he knows what you're thinking right now. And he said to the men with the shovel hands, he said, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Do you imagine how awkward that was? You're walking around like this. And Jesus says, stand up. And he just That's probably one of the most awkward scenes you could see at church. And the guys that stand there, he wasn't saying anything. Just standing there in front of everybody. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to, or to do evil, to save or to, or to destroy it? He looked around at them and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And, a hand, and the man's hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law were furious. And he began to discuss with one another how that might, they, what they might do to Jesus. They're starting plotting his death immediately because he watched the man go from this to this. And all the guy did was stretch. That's what's so cool about that. So I'm going to talk about stretching this morning. Um, I'm a karate instructor. I teach all the time. I work out quite a bit with the F3 group, plug in F3. That's a shameless plug, but anyway. Um, but I enjoy it. Stretching is a big part of life. We do it, most of us do it in the morning. When you get up, you get out of bed, stretching that back. At least I hope you do. Three main things that happens when you stretch, though, and it totally coincides with what Jesus was teaching. First thing is this. Stretching requires want slash desire slash obedience. When you get up in the morning, you roll out of bed and just kind of crash the floor and make your way to the bathroom to kind of start your day. Or do you get up out of the bed, stretch your legs because you know it feels good, stretch your back so you don't feel like a hunchback the rest of the day, it's a want to feel good when you wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Okay, my wife can attest to this. I'll get up, work out at 5.15 in the morning. I'll go over there with my F3 group, and, the, and I'm, I don't say anything for the first 20 minutes. I'm just... Because I want to I punch somebody. I'm so mad. I'm not a morning person. Um, but it's a want or desire to become better. At that moment in time, when you stretch in the morning, it's a want and desire. It's an act of obedience that you tell yourself that you got to do. The cool thing about this is this whole story is the first thing that even triggered the fact that a man's hand being restored was an act of obedience. Jesus told the man to stand up. There's many a times in life God is going to tell you to do something because you want something so bad. Nowhere in here in the text does it say anywhere that the man won his hand healed. But if you're standing up in front of a bunch of people like this, I'm sure running through your head, I really wish I looked like everybody else in that moment in time. A very awkward situation. All he says is stretch your hand. And he did. First thing, it requires obedience, a want or desire for God to move in your life. But he's going to ask you to do something. Number two, from a physical standpoint, when you stretch, you break down small muscle fibers. Okay, that's, what, that's why you feel sore if you have a hard stretch. When you stretch like that, what happens is you tear them, and they rebuild stronger. Okay? It, it, it creates what we call fluidity. It makes you more flexible. It makes you move accordingly. It makes you more agile. It makes you feel better, better health, less prone to injury. Very much so when you stretch for what God's asking you to do, during the breakdown process, He's building you back up stronger also at the same time. He also develops a sensitivity in you to move more fluidly with him because of it. So that's number two. Also in that, 
when you stretch after really, really sore, it breaks down what they call lactic acid, okay? And what happens is you feel better. It's a restoring factor that takes place in your body also. If you're going to be obedient to what God's telling you to do, he's going to ask you to stretch. When you stretch, he's going to break some things down in you to make things new and stronger. And at the same time, he's going to remove some stuff. He's going to remove the, the toxic lactic acid out of your life to make you feel better and move forward. And number three, look at that, two minutes and 30 seconds. Number three, when you stretch really good, do you ever have that feeling of like euphoria? You just feel it's really, really good. You feel like you can conquer the world. All the blood's moving really good. Um, I've had my back reset before. Um, my wife's also a masseuse, just saying. But I've had, I've, <laughs> I've had my back reset before. And if you ever had your back or go to a chiropractor and have it reset really good, you feel kind of a little woozy, but you feel really great. All the spinal fluid is running where it's supposed to. Well, the cool thing is, is when you stretch and you get through the breakthrough process and the breaking and tearing and rebuilding, that feeling of euphoria, that feeling of release you have is the natural high that God gives you because of you being obedient and stretching and leaning in. And all you have to do is just stretch that thing way out there. That's always asking. It's a simple concept. But so many of us don't like stretching because it hurts. Stretching is not, is not something you've, enjoy okay if you if you do enjoy it you're weird okay many times when i'm teaching my karate students and i had them stretching on the floor some of them giggle but that giggle actually means it's hurting and i push them a little bit more but i stop god will push you in your stretching point and then once you're kind of comfortable guess what he's going to push you a little bit deeper into that stretch because he wants to continue to stretch you continue to stretch you out so you can reach farther out for other people also. He'll constantly put you in your, in your uncomfortable zone. Um, I teach in the Christ study all the time. This is your comfort zone. Like, right here. You're okay with being up close to somebody right here. This is all good. But since you're like this, it, it becomes very uncomfortable very quickly. God wants you to be able to thrive in this environment, not just way back here. He's going to stretch you every way possible. He asked this man with a shriveled hand to stand up. Jesus had him stand up in front of everybody, not to make a mockery of him, not to make him feel awkward, but to prove a point. But if you're willing to listen to Jesus and stretch forth, not only will he heal and restore you, he'll make you new, make you stronger. And just that simple act of stretching hand forth changed the mindset of every single person in the room. Thank you. Ten seconds, yes. All right, all right. Yeah, um, I actually am in close proximity to the youth every Friday, and they're like, hey, Jonathan, I'm like, hey. No, just kidding. Um, no, so my, um, when I was, when I was a, a youth, Chris would ask me to, to teach, and it would take me like a month of preparation, and um, I would wind up only speaking about five minutes anyways. So I was like, five minutes, yes! Um, no, but today we're going to go ahead and be in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. So if you guys could turn there real quick, and then we'll get to this. So this is the story of blind Bartimaeus, right? You guys heard that story before? So, and Jesus reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. 
When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he opened uh he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up. They said, come, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do? Jesus asked. All right, by the blind man said, I want to see. Um, and Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man was healed. So I want to talk about two aspects that I feel really resonated with me when um, I was asked to do this. The first one is the things that Jesus does on the way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the end point of Jesus, right? That's where he was going to die. We're going to kind of touch on one of the things that he does um, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way. And then the second one is the power of the name. All right? So throughout the Bible, um, we see a lot of Jesus' miracles. Um, they are as he's walking somewhere, right? As he's walking to that end goal, excuse me, as he's walking to that end goal of the cross, right? Prime example, Bartimaeus. Jesus is on the road walking through Jericho. And Jericho um, was a big city at the time. It was uh, probably one of the first establishments and um, they had a lot of uh, transient people going through because it was like a go-between to, to get to places like Jerusalem, like a holy city. Um, so you see this picture. Um, Jesus is walking, and he has his disciples, and he has a big crowd following him. So right there, there's probably just, you know, just, just a, a big amount of people, just a ton of people. Um, and you wonder, like, why was the crowd following Jesus? Um, I would say that the crowd was actually just looking for something, kind of like to see a miracle or to see a spectacle. Um, nothing really um, for them, almost. They were just there just to, just to see Jesus do something. Um, and and I, I think the, one of the most beautiful things of, of Jesus' life is that, yeah, he did see the end, he saw the end of him dying. You know, he saw that the end, he was going to be hung on a cross. But he never lost sight of the need in front of him, right? Right? Jesus was walking, and he was with the lady that, was, that had the blood issue. He was walking through, right? That lady was like, if I could just touch him, I'd be healed. Bartimaeus, Jesus is walking through Jericho. And what happens? Hey, Jesus... Uh, uh, the Nazarene is walking. That's what the people told him. The Nazarene is walking through. And what was, the, what was the one thing he did? He was like, yo, I'm getting mine today, right? He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I think it's super interesting that Bartimaeus doesn't call Jesus. Um, let's go back to the text because I lost, I, I forgot what they said. Um, Jesus of Nazareth. They called out to a location, right? That's like saying, um, this is a terrible thing, but Jenny from the block almost, it was like a location, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought of, right? Uh, but they call out to a location of where Jesus is from. And it's interesting what Bartimaeus does, right? He calls out to the lineage of David. 
he calls out to that messianic title, knowing that out of the line of David, what was going to happen? There was going to be a savior, right? He was like, no, no, no. I'm not calling Jesus through a, by a location of where he's from. No, I'm looking at him, not physically, but I see that that is the Messiah. So I'm going to get mine today. See, Bartimaeus was known um, by his condition. Um, that kind of defined him. And uh, for, for, for a good while, um, I, I had a kind of like a, a struggle with, well, it wasn't kind of, I had a struggle with depression. Um, I was working a horrible job, got paid well, um, but it was just, I would wake up Monday morning in tears because I had to go to work, you know. I'd wake up um, and go to, the, go to the living room and be like, I don't want to go to work, I don't want to work, I don't want to work, and start hyperventilating because I hated this job. And, I mean, it, it meant the need that I had. It meant, you know, I was able to provide for my wife and my kids. But I was like, uh-uh, this is horrible. And, 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 you know, that defined me in that season. Let me tell you what I did, though, after that, you know, being, being defined by depression. Man, I started saying, Jesus, I need you. And I started calling that, that the promises that Jesus, that Jesus has spoken to me. We moved, my, my family and I moved when my little girl was six months, five months, and she was right next to me and my wife in a U-Haul trailer, and we were, going to Missouri, we were coming from Missouri. And uh, I was like, God, you promised life. You promised um, a, a, a future. You promised these things since I've been a young kid that I would walk into. Um, that I would walk in through these promises, um, and, and, and I'm like, I'm not there yet. I am not there by no means. I'm struggling with depression. I'm angry. I'd get home, and the first thing I would do is lay on my bed, and Jesse's like, you want to you wanna talk to me? And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to do anything. What I want to do is sit. But let me tell you, man, when you start activating that faith a little bit, just like Bartimaeus did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When you start speaking to those things that start defining areas of your life, depression, addiction, uh, hatred, jealousy, anger, you're not defined by that anymore. You're not jealous, Susan. You're not angry, Timothy. You're not a uh, uh, depressed, Billy. Um, you're not any of this stuff. You got to stand up and be like, no, I'm claiming my title, and I'm, or not my title, but I'm claiming these promises that Jesus has spoken over me. And that's what I started doing. And you know what? I got another job. You know what? I'm super happy. You know what? I love doing things after work, right? But that's not, that's not always the case. You know? you know, there will be struggles, just like Caleb said. But it is so much easier to go through some struggles when you know who you're serving. It's so much easier to know that, yeah, it sucks, and sometimes you have to embrace the suck. But knowing that you serve Jesus, the one true God, can get you through anything. And, um, yeah, I'm going to stop there.
Amen. Give these guys a hand for being brave enough. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>